We're reading in Luke 23, verses 32 through 34. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they were crucified. They crucified him there along with these criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Amen. May the Lord bless his word. morning. So when I was 16 years old, I was arrested. I still remember sitting in the holding cell where they kept us there and told us to take off our belts, and I had no idea why. I was like, why? Because I guess you could kill yourself with, with, with belts, and so they took that away. And, and I, I wasn't sure what was going on, and I was being interrogated, and the four of us 16-year-old boys who really didn't know what we were doing or why we were even there in the first place. See, we had a sleepover at my house, and my mom was away. This is what happens with teenagers. And so we decided to just go outside and to play, right? And so we went to a a school nearby called David Mary Thompson, and that was a place where I would play a game called Burby. Does anyone know what Burby is? So I just found out that Burby is a, is a Scarborian term. It's, it's another word for wall ball. So it's baseball, you play against the wall, and usually there's a box that's drawn in as, as the strike zone, and that's how you would play baseball. So anyways, we used to play Burby a lot in, at the high school, and you know, we would roof a lot of the tennis balls, so we would know that there's like hundreds of tennis balls up there. And, and see, I knew how to get up there. So I said to my friends, hey, why don't we go up there and, and get some tennis balls? But before we did that, what happened was back then, there used to be a way of, op- there was a thing called newspapers. You guys know about newspapers? <laughs> yeah. And so newspapers, and they used to have newspaper stands where you would have to put in coins to get the newspaper out. But there was this trick where you hit the return button three times, you pull and you, you smack it and it opens up. And you, can, <laughs> you can't do that anymore, but it was a trick back then, right? So, so I knew about the trick, and so me and my friends, we did that to cut some newspapers. And you know, as, as you do as teenage boys, we were near the school, we were just playing around, and my friend decided to light some of that on fire, <laughs> right? And, and we saw it lit on fire, but it burned out. We saw it burn out, it was all out, you know, it was near the school, but it wasn't at the school, like, right? And then we went up to the roof, went up, got some tennis balls, came back down, and we're just fooling around, playing handball. And then out of nowhere, cop cars come and come onto the road or to the sidewalk, and we all run, and they chase us down, and we get caught. Right now, who, who started the fire? I'm like, what? I don't know what's going on. They're like, and so they arrested us, took us to the um, police uh, precinct. And so this was what was going on. And at the end of it, what we found out was that unbeknownst to us, there were other kids or other people there who lit garbage, the garbage bins around the school on fire. And we're like, 
That wasn't us. We didn't do that, right? We just lit one newspaper on fire. But because we told that story when they were interrogating us all separately, right, some of us got charged, and they got charged with arson, which is, which is not a simple thing. Um, but because I wasn't one of the people who lit the garbage can, not the garbage can, but the newspaper on fire, they let me go. And so I didn't, uh, I wasn't charged. I was not guilty for anything. Um, and I never told that story when I got hired here because... <laughs> Because that's not what you do at an interview, right? <laughs> Tell the story that you've been arrested before. But I wondered if I were to have been, uh, had a criminal record, would I have gotten hired? And the reality is that most likely not, right? Like, like if I'm looking at two, in, uh, two resumes and I don't know the people and I see their credentials, but one has a criminal record and the other doesn't, I'm going to interview the person who doesn't have the record. I don't know anything about these two people. One person may have an amazing, the person with the criminal record may even have better credentials, be an amazing person for this role, but just because of that record, I wouldn't hire that person. And the reason I thought about this story was because of that idea of a criminal trying to find a job, trying to reintegrate into our society, and how hard that would be, right? They've served their time, they did their, pay their debt to society, but yet that record stays with them, and it haunts them, and it impacts what they do um, and, and their livelihood. And you know, if you think about it, Jesus was a criminal, well, at least he was with criminals, and in the eyes of the Roman Empire, he was a criminal, and because of that, he was crucified. He didn't murder, he didn't steal, he didn't, he didn't do anything like that, but he was a blasphemer, he was a usurper, someone who claimed to be the king of the Jews, the son of God, someone who can forgive sins, someone whose punishment for his crime was, was death by crucifixion. And during this season of Lent, we're entering into this new series called Any Last Words. This series is based off a book called, by, uh, by, called Seven Words by Susan Robb. And this book is being used as our common curriculum, as you've heard, through our life groups and also other groups. And it's not too late to sign up. So if you wanted to come, you could still attend. And, you know, obviously it's nice if you come, could come to all six, but I think it's good if you could even drop by it for, for a few so if you are interested, you, you can let me know. And today we're looking at the words of Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Here we see Jesus hanging on the cross with two other men who were both criminals. Jesus is on the cross with two criminals. And though we know that Jesus is innocent, in the eyes of the Roman Empire, he is just another criminal being crucified. And the Romans didn't just crucify anybody. Romans saved crucifixion as a way to torture and to prolong this long death. It, was, it wasn't just a way to kill somebody, but, a, but an example of how uh, not to behave so that you would not be on the cross. They would nail a person to a wooden beam such as this by their uh, usually wrists and sometimes feet. And they wouldn't die from 
the hanging itself, they would die out of uh, what they call asphyxiation, which is just from not being able to breathe. Because what would happen is they would hang, but then they would have to pull themselves up in order to breathe. And every time they fall, it was harder to breathe. And so this would take days before someone would die. You know, some argue this is one of the most evil and gruesome inventions of hum humans, human beings, of, of a way of killing somebody. So again, it wasn't reserved for anybody. In fact, if you're a Roman citizen, you didn't even have to worry about being crucified because that was only reserved for slaves and not for Roman citizens. So if you weren't a Roman citizen, it didn't matter what crime you committed. You never had to worry about crucifixion because that was way beneath them. Unless you were a, a traitor, then they would also crucify you. So here we see Jesus as one of the criminals hanging on the cross. And the words that come out of his mouth that was recorded was, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them. Jesus says the very words for which he was being crucified for. In Luke chapter 5, there's a story about a man who was paralyzed. And because there was such a large crowd around Jesus, and a lot of us know this story, and his friends wanted to get this man to Jesus, they couldn't get him there. So what they decided to do was climb up onto the roof, remove some tiles, and then lowered their friend down right in front of Jesus. And, you, and Jesus, seeing the faith of their friend, says, this person is forgiven. And this is what he says. He says, friend, your sins are forgiven. And when the Pharisees and the teachers of the law heard this, they were very upset and thought to themselves that this person was speaking blasphemy. Because who can forgive sins except God? In Jewish law, the penalty, penalty for blasphemy was death by stoning. And in the eyes of the Jewish leaders, Jesus was equating himself with God by his message that he can forgive sins because, again, only God can forgive sins. In the story of Exodus, after God comes again and tells Moses to remake the two tablets that were broken, this is what God says about himself. Exodus 34, and Yahweh descended in a cloud and stood with him there and pronounced the name Yahweh. Then Yahweh passed before him and called out, Yahweh, Yahweh, God of tenderness and compassion, slow to anger, rich in faithful love and constancy, maintaining his faithful love to thousands, forgiving fault, crime, and sin, yet letting nothing go unchecked and punishing the parents' fault in the children and in the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. If you remember earlier in Moses' story that God had revealed himself with the name Yahweh, I am what I am. If you notice, I'm, I'm using a translation that has the actual name Yahweh, which is what is written in the Hebrew instead of the word Lord. Usually when you see the word Lord in the Old Testament, it's actually Yahweh. And so I think that's important for you to remember because that was the revealed name of God to the, God, to the people of Israel. That what, that's what made Yahweh different than other gods was part of his name. And one of the main characteristics of who he was and what he says about himself right here is that he reveals himself not just as I am what I am, 
but as, as the God of tenderness and compassion, slow to anger and rich in faithful love, he is a gracious God who forgives. He is a God who forgives. It's almost as if God has to remind his people over and over again that he is not like other gods. That unlike gods of other nations, unlike the Greek gods who abuse and use their subjects for their own doing and liking, Yahweh, the God of Israel, is a God who is full of compassion, who is very slow to anger, abounding in love, and is ready and willing to forgive. The prophet Micah in Micah 7 says this about Yahweh, Who is a God like you? Who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Micah seems to imply that Yahweh is not like other gods. Yahweh is a God who pardons sin and forgives. Yahweh does not stay angry forever like some other gods may, but rather Yahweh delights in showing mercy. It's not that God is an angry God, ready to punish us for our sins, but rather Yahweh is a loving and forgiving God who finds delight in showing mercy. Do you see that? He takes delight. He, he enjoys and he loves to show mercy. So when Jesus goes around saying people's sins were forgiven, the Pharisees and the religious leaders were having a hissy fit because only God can forgive sins. Who is this person going around saying your sins are forgiven? This is blasphemy. Only Yahweh can forgive sins, and you are not Yahweh, and therefore you must hang. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. In Luke 7, Jesus was invited by a Pharisee named Simon to have dinner at his house. While they were eating together, a woman who lived a sinful life came with a jar of perfume. We know this story. Some of us know this story. She was crying and was wiping his, her, the feet of Jesus with her tears and then used the, her hair to dry it and then kissed them and poured perfume on Jesus' feet. The Pharisees, or the Pharisees, seeing this, main, seeing this made a few conclusions about this man Jesus. There's no way this man Jesus could be a, a prophet because a prophet first wouldn't would know that this this woman was a sinner. And secondly, if this woman was a sinner, he should not let her touch him because that was against the law. And Jesus, knowing what the Pharisee was thinking, uh, gives an example of two people who owed money to a moneylander. One person owed $500 and another person owed $50. None of them, both of them were not able to pay the debt back, but and so the moneylender forgave the debts of both. And then Jesus asked Simon, which one would love him more? And Simon says, I suppose the one who had a greater debt. And Jesus uses this parable as, a, as to compare the attitude of Simon to that of the woman and to show Simon that Jesus was more than just a prophet. He is the one who can forgive. Verse 48 of that passage, Then Jesus said to the woman, to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? There's a person named N.T. Wright. 
uh, a pastor and theologian, he argues that forgiveness of sins is, and that the forgiveness that Jesus was offering wasn't just about moral forgiveness. Because, in fact, the Judaism or Jewish uh, religion already had a way of receiving forgiveness. They had a system set up. So it wasn't that people needed to be forgiven of sins. Sure, our moral forgiveness, uh, personal sins needed to be forgiven. But Jesus was offering something that was much more than that. Jesus was bringing in a new kingdom of God where those who were not supposed to be in were now in. Where the first was last, the last was first. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders were not just upset because Jesus was offering this forgiveness, but because Jesus was replacing the temple and the temple system, and in fact themselves, who were part of that system, with the new kingdom of God, where their status and their holiness would not matter. It was an upending of their world and their own self-righteousness that they took offense at. And this is the thing about forgiveness. We have turned the forgiveness of God into this personal event where it's just between me and God. And yes, that is part of forgiveness. And yes, that is important. But Jesus offers more than that. I would say with that, that the forgiveness that Jesus offers goes beyond our personal sins and personal forgiveness to our communal forgiveness. Jesus doesn't just forgive our lies and our laziness. He forgives the injustices of the world, the systems that are broken and are sinful, and wants to and delights sin, bringing all things into right relation to himself. What we call wholeness, or sometimes we use the word peace, or what the Hebrews would use as shalom. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. I'm glad that Jesus, Jesus can say this about the very people who were crucifying him. They really didn't know what they were doing, did they? They, they didn't know that they were crucifying the Son of God, because if they did, they probably wouldn't have, right? I hope. All they knew was that this person was trying to upend their world and that they were not having it. Yet this prayer of Jesus wasn't just for those who were crucifying Jesus literally, but rather for every one of us who are in need of his forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. We need to hear this from Jesus, don't we? We need to be able to hear the words of Jesus who is on the cross, asking God the Father to forgive the very people who are crucifying him besides these two criminals. We need to hear this from Jesus because we ourselves need to know that Jesus will forgive us and is willing to forgive us even with those people who put Jesus on the cross. As we're part of this season of Lent, I saw a picture of the cross as this journey to Lent. You know, it's a pathway to the cross, right, we call it. And there are three uh, crosses there, two with the criminals, and Jesus also being a criminal. And I imagine myself trying to follow Jesus to the cross and realize that I will inevitably fail. Just like the disciples, I too will be scared. I'll be more worried about my safety, what I'm going to lose, what may, I may have to give up, how painful it would be. Just like the disciples, I betray him, abandon him, do things my own way. 
Yet it is while Jesus is on the cross, while I'm still scared, feeling guilty for betraying him, ashamed of my constant failures, Jesus says to me and to you, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And this is what is so amazing about our God. He doesn't forgive because we deserve it. He doesn't, forgive it. he doesn't forgive us because we have been faithful. He doesn't forgive because I was able to pay or earn his forgiveness. He forgives because it is just part of who he is. God is a God of forgiveness even when we are the reason he is on the cross. Jesus forgives us while we are crucifying him because even on the cross or even our part in the cross is not enough for God to stop loving us. Jesus is the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Jesus delights in forgiving us. And God proves his love for us in this while we were still sinners, not while we were perfect, not while we were amazing and faithful and reading the Bible, doing all these things. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. And praise, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Two of my friends uh, had to plead guilty for mischief and God community service hours. The saving grace for them was that they were under 18, and when you turn 18, your records are gone, right? It's as if you've never committed that crime ever, like, before, so when you fill out your, your forms, everything, you could just say no to have you ever been charged or been convicted of a criminal offense. And to me, that's an example of the grace and forgiveness that Jesus offers to us. I know our system is not perfect and it's very flawed, but yet there are moments like this where we see the glimpses of God's forgiveness and grace. And in the case of my friends, their trespasses were completely wiped out. And we understand there's something, uh, I read a little bit about it, but I didn't go into much detail. But we as a society have understood that children can be, cannot be convicted for crimes because they really don't know what they're doing. And, so, and with adolescents too, to a certain level, right? And now we have other laws that, that you could try adolescents as adults for certain cases. But for the most part, we understand as children and youth, we really don't know what we're doing. But who says as adults, as soon as you turn 18, you really know what you're doing? Youth that are here, you know, it looks like we know what we're doing. And sometimes we do. Sometimes we have more experiences, but we're just like you. We, we don't know what we're doing half the time. Right? We're trying to figure it out just as much as you. And so we, though, have put a limit on when that criminal conviction can stay. God does not. He says, you are forgiven, that your sins are wiped out. There is no sin record for you. There's in one research study I looked into, they found out that out of the 400,000 prisoners that were released in the year of 2005, in a span of nine years, these prisoners were arrested 1.9 million times. That's an average of five arrests per year. Our system is set up for our criminals to not be non-criminals, 
once you have the record, I know there's ways of getting some records expunged, but a lot of the times, when you're, once you have that record, it's really hard for them to reintegrate and just to be a human being, right? They're defined by that one moment, or it could be multiple moments where they failed, and yet they're defined by that, and they can't get up. And so this is why I do really appreciate that, that Abby has uh, introduced to us and, 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 and is trying to get us to partner with an organization called RJHO. It's Restorative Justice Housing Ontario. And they provide housing uh, for the three of the most difficult issues people face after long periods of incarceration. One is finding a safe place to live, becoming part of a supportive community, and getting a job. So if you want to find out about how you can get involved with something like that, please speak with any one of us about this. And again, I bring this up because I think we do this to ourselves, don't we? Not only do we see others who have that record and, and almost base that person based on that uh, action or that conviction, we also do that to ourselves. We know that Jesus forgives us, and we read in the Bible that God keeps no record of wrongs, and yet we live as though we haven't really received God's forgiveness. That he does, he does keep records of all our wrongs, and, and that those wrongs are constantly at the back of our minds as if we have not really been forgiven. And you can argue that it isn't that God hasn't really forgiven us. It's just that we haven't forgiven ourselves, and which to me sounds a little bit silly. I know it's not silly. It's very serious. But if God can forgive us, if Jesus can forgive us while he's on the cross, he can forgive the very people who put them there and is mocking him, why, why can't we forgive ourselves? If Jesus says, I forgive you, why can't we just accept that forgiveness? Why do we hold on to it? Are we, are we better than God? Another question that I want to ask ourselves, ask us, is, is there a limit to God's forgiveness? Is there a reason that God would not forgive? What does it mean that Jesus forgives even those who put him on a cross? What does it mean that Jesus forgives not as we forgive, but rather sets an example for us on how we are to forgive? Psalm 130 says, If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But because you don't, but with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. We need to believe and trust in what the Bible says, says about God. That he is a forgiving God who does not keep record of our sins. This is why every Sunday we have a time in our worship uh, where we confess our sins to God the Father within the community of faith. We do this every week because there is no sin or action that you cannot be forgiven for for that week that you may have committed sins for. We come every week acknowledging that none of us and all of us are in need of forgiveness. And that forgiveness is offered to us by Jesus. And so we confess. And after we receive the forgiveness, we offer the peace and the shalom, the wholeness of Christ that is offered to us. With one another. And that's why we pass the peace of Christ with each other. I want to call our uh, worship 
band up. And, and if you notice, we haven't done that yet. And some of you that's been doing it, uh, been part of our community for a while would have been like, what? Huh? did we miss something? But it's because I wanted to save that time for us as a way for us to end our time now. And I want to invite you into the presence of Jesus, who on the cross says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. This is the prayer of Jesus on the cross. This is the prayer of Jesus right now for you and for me. So let's pray. What keeps you from accepting the forgiveness of God? Do you feel like your sin or sins are too great? Do you feel as though you've done it again? Do you feel like you just don't deserve it? Take a moment to talk with God. To embrace that God loves you, that he is a compassionate and forgiving God who wants and delights in forgiving you and showing you mercy. Jesus, we confess that we are sinful, that we are broken, that we are selfish and, and scared, and half the time we don't know what we're doing. Yet in the midst of that, Jesus, you forgive us. And even when we lack faith, all we have to do is turn to you, ask you, and you are ready to forgive. So we, we thank you that we are forgiven people. And we want to embrace that reality and that truth, even if we hear other voices saying things different. We hear, we hear your voice, Jesus, that says, Father, forgive them. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.